0: Hello, and welcome to Afternoonified, the podcast where we firmly believe that strange women lying in ponds distributing swords is the most acceptable form of government. I'm Emily. And I'm Sarah. Strange Women in Ponds 2024. That's our obligatory Monty Python reference taken care of. I bet if we had strange women in ponds in control, we would have gotten a $2,000 stimulus check. Probably. Actually, we'll, we'll get to it in a little bit. But the strange woman lying in the pond has some issues. All right. So we are not going to talk about Lancelot or Arthur. Cool. Who gives a shit? This episode is about all the women standing behind those dumb asses. And you're going to like it, for real. The, the fact is, there's a number of women who play a huge role in Arthur, Arthurian, I think. Yes, that sounds right. Arthurian myths, and they rarely get the credit they deserve. It's always Guinevere loves Lancelot. Morgan is a horrible witch. Oh, no. Accidental on-purpose incest. Bleah. Accidental on-purpose incest. The best kind. Well, I have read most of Myths of Avalon, and I am ready to talk about women and paganism. Because your new age aunt from 1989 has arrived. And it's all flowy skirts and feminism. Amazing. And loving the energy you're bringing to this. Uh, For real, I have had a copy of, like, the full... Because apparently Miss of Avalon is the name of the series. And there are four books, four or five books in the series. But the one that I borrowed from my childhood best friend when I was 13 is all of the books in one. So I have had this book since, like, 2004. Never finished it. Because it's so fucking long. <laughs> how long... Like, how many pages are we talking about? Oh, uh, give me a second. Okay, so for reference, the book is about... Like, it's... The dimensions are, like, 8 by 6, so it's bigger okay. than a normal paperback. It's about the size of a later Harry Potter book. Um, it is... 876 pages long. That's a lot. Mm, Halfway through, listening to the audiobooks, um, Lancelot, Guinevere, and Arthur just had a threesome. Oh. Yeah, that's why it was a big deal when I was a kid. There's a lot of sex in that book because it was written in, you know, the late 70s, early 80s. It's that kind of book. Yep. It's a penis book. (laughs) At least two of them, apparently. At least two up to five. Anyway, so when I was growing up, like, the Merlin miniseries was one of my favorite things ever. We had it on tape. I don't know why. And then I got this book. So I have had very definite opinions about King Arthur for a very long time. Oh, good. I did lie. We do have to talk about Arthur for a minute to 15. I'm assuming we got to establish some things, like, for the... Ten people in the universe who have never, never heard of King Arthur. Yeah, well, as I I said, like, he's the bread that we're building this avocado toast on. You can't have it without Arthur, as much as I wish we could sometimes. Here is the sad, undeniable truth about King Arthur. He most likely was not a real person. Yeah, probably. I know. I'm sorry, That 2004 Clive Owen vehicle had us believing otherwise for a while. There was a title card at the beginning of that movie that said very specifically that King Arthur was maybe, probably, real, maybe. I tried to watch it in preparation, but it's not streaming anywhere. (gasps) And I wasn't willing to pay for it because I own it, but the Xbox is horrible about playing DVDs. Yeah, so I haven't watched that. I also didn't get to watch King Arthur Legend of the Sword uh, because that also was not streaming anywhere. What is that? Uh, it is a um, Guy Ritchie movie from, oh, fuck, like, three years ago. Uh, that guy from Crimson Peak who wasn't Loki. Not Tom Hiddleston? Not oh, Tom Hiddleston. Oh, oh uh, 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 Charlie, Charlie Hunnam? Yeah, that guy. He's King Arthur. Um, Astrid Berg's Frisbee from... Pirates of the Caribbean is Guinevere. I think she might be Morgan Le Fay. It's it does not follow. Right. The st- it's it's very Guy Ritchie. Um, it's it's not I'm not going to say it's good. I don't want people at my ass. It's definitely a film that I didn't have a bad time watching. I was going to say, is it watchable? It is. It. There are movies is. that are bad, but still watchable. And then there are movies that are bad and are just bad. The upside to most movies about King Arthur Is that they cast very hot men. (laughs) This is a bonus. That is what made the 2004 King Arthur watchable and Keira Knightley. Uh, It is what made Merlin watchable because, well, I don't watch Jurassic Park for the articles. So, King Arthur probably wasn't real. Um, However, and I say this with the biggest maybe possible in front of it. There was a Roman-associated military leader in the 5th and or 6th centuries who successfully held off invasion by the Saxons who might have shared some of the same traits with the Arthur of legend. Maybe. This is the one from the King Arthur movie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, a little bit. From what I remember the little, you know, the little blur at the beginning. I, just, I haven't seen the movie in at least 10 years. I just wanted to set expectations to an appropriate level before I talked about history and very old literature. Also, the disclaimer that I tried learning Welsh and couldn't do it. So this is going to be a little rough for me. Did you? Okay, when you say you tried learning Welsh, do you mean for this episode or you have in the past? It's on Duolingo. So you just kind of picked it up on Duolingo. Yeah. Occasionally. It isn't like you started researching this episode and you'd be like, and you were like, you know, it would be helpful if I learned Welsh in the next week and a half. No, we have established that sometimes I'll read multiple books for an episode. I'm not going to learn a whole fucking language. (laughs) (laughs) So, likely the first written account to mention an Arthur esque figure was written in the 6th century by a Welsh monk named Gildas uh, in a work about the Roman conquest of Britain and its aftermath. In this account, a Roman British military leader named Ambrosius Arre. Arlanius wins a series of battles against the invading Saxons, most notably at Baden Hill, which is a battle that pops up in a lot of stories about Arthur. Most stories about Arthur, if they're doing it, not correctly, but if they're doing it by the book. Right. They've done their homework. To give some, speaking of doing homework, uh, to give some context of what the fuck was going on during this time period, because I think a lot of people just assume Middle Ages, you know, loots and bards and dresses and those like cone hats right um it was actually earlier than that
1: yeah way earlier
0: fifth or sixth century something like that yeah yeah Yeah. like like britain wasn't britain yet well it was britain but it wasn't like right it's not game of thrones britain it's king arthur 2004 britain yeah I have no other frame of reference. (laughs) So Britain during this time period was doing its own thing with druids and fairies and living in huts and just being like people. Um, Until about 43 CE. I am going to be using BCE and CE in this. Um, So about 43 CE when the Romans decided they wanted Britain and the surrounding area. They took it because that's what the Romans do. As they are wont to do, yes. Yes, and the Roman occupation of Britain began and lasted until 410 CE when the Anglo-Saxons, which were Germanic peoples from modern-day Germany, Denmark, Norway, those places, but not France and Belgium. That was known as Gaul. Okay. Um, So, the Anglo-Saxons attacked and the Romans were literally like, "Uh, you guys are on your fucking own (laughs) to the British people. So, fighting the Saxons would become the capital M, capital T main thing for leaders in Britain to do until the battle at Baton Hill, which occurred in the general vicinity of 500 CE. And just as a fun fact, because I was thinking about this earlier, and it is St. Patrick's Day, um, St. Patrick was Roman, mm. and the snakes that he drove out of Ireland were the pagans. Yay. I was just thinking about that <laughs> seemed appropriate. Anyway, I'll I'll think of that while I'm drinking my whiskey later. Yeah, I've kind of just accepted that this date isn't about that really anymore. It might still no. be it might still be in Ireland, I don't know, if you're Catholic. It's about pretending to be Irish and drink, correct. I'm just here for the party. <laughs> All right. So, 200-ish years later, Arthur turned up again in the work of a 9th century historian, Nennius, who compiled a series of works called the History of the Britons. According to Nennius, Arthur won 12 victories over the Saxons, including at Baden. But while he was a great military leader, Nennius does not say that he was a king. So, historians and archaeologists have also struggled to identify the present-day locations where Arthur is said to have fought. There are some places in the myth that are real places, but those specific names pop up way later when they, like, existed. If that makes sense? Yeah, so they kind of... The stories name them when they were a thing. So, many believe, even at this early stage, much of Arthur's story was just a story and not actual fact. Uh, Thanks in part to Nanias' claim that Arthur single-handedly killed more than 900 Saxons at the Battle of Baden. I mean, maybe. Mm. (laughs) Doubtful. It's unlikely. (laughs) I was going to say, this is warfare with, I mean, I feel like one individual could kill 900 people in modern-day warfare quite easily. Yes. (laughs) But not in the 6th century. Yeah, probably not. So, in 1136 CE, 500 years after Arthur was said to have lived, British cleric uh, Geoffrey, or Joffrey, but I think it's Geoffrey. Our good friend, Jeff. Jeff uh, of Monmouth <laughs> wrote the history of kings of Britain. Along with tracing British kingship through the 7th century, he also gave Arthur the promotion to High King. Um, and High King, it's the way things were governed in britain were weird uh, in that time period because you'd have like the king of cornwall and the king of orkney but then there was the one king to rule them all right there were like regional kings and then, there, like, yeah it was like governors and then yes, the president i was gonna say governors and the president yeah so he gave him the promotion to high king and he also gave us the outline of arthur's life including his birth at tintagel castle in cornwall uh, his rise to king, as well as a whole host of characters that will come into play, such as his wife, Guinevere, Merlin, the very good wizard, Morgan, the enchantress, and Mordred, who is depicted as Arthur's shitty nephew, who steals both the throne and Arthur's wife, while Arthur is away at war. Cool guy. Uh, his role, Mordred's role in the story will change drastically as time goes on, um, which we'll get into later. Um Geoffrey's work is also the first to mention Arthur's sword, although it's known as Caliburn, not Excalibur. Got some of the same mouth sounds going on there. (laughs) That's what you'll find with a lot of the names associated with this, is that the mouth sounds are the same, but the spellings and the pronunciations are not. (laughs) So among the historical figures who may have uh, influenced Geoffrey were Magnus Maximus, a Roman officer in Britain who launched an attack on Gaul. Like I said, France and, and Belgium. Castle Valenus, I know, a first century BC warrior or a BCE warrior who led an uprising against the Romans in Britain. And arverargus a British king from the first century um, CE who later married a, quote, great beauty who may have been the inspiration for Guinevere. Because that's one of Guinevere's main identifiers is that she's super hot. I mean, that's all that really matters, right? Yes. I'm not saying it's going to get a little dry, but this next section is going to introduce some vocabulary that we'll need later. Oh, <laughs> some boy. vocabulary that I have come to despise. <laughs> this episode comes with a glossary. So, the author of Geoffrey Mon this book, is a brooding, violent warrior. But in the 12th century, poet Shretan de Troye uh, put the romance into the Arthurian genre. Because that's what the French did in the 12th century. God bless the French. They stunk, but damn, did they have good wine and romance. Look, I'm not interested unless someone is boning. Why do you think I've tried reading *Miss of Avalon so many times? (laughs) Uh, So his works were deeply influenced by the world of medieval chivalry and courtly love, which is either a mini-sode or a full episode of its own. Courtly love is complicated. The number of hoops that you had to jump through to bone someone in the medieval (laughs) times, like the time period of the medieval times, it's probably not that hard to bone someone in like a physical medieval times now. Uh, So his poems introduce the character of Lancelot as well as the kind uh, as well as the concept of Camelot as the site of Arthur's court. He also introduced characters such as Percival, one of Arthur's knights whose quest for the Holy Grail would become a focal point of Arthurian legend and Dan Brown books. So not only did he add, like, the romance, he added, like, all the really romantic stuff. He added all the hot dudes. (laughs) So a few decades after Détroit uh, came the Vulgate Cycle, which mark the words Vulgate Cycle. This sounds familiar, like a thing I've heard of before. It's a series of stories in French that were originally attributed to a Welsh clerk, but were more likely composed by Cistercian monks. The romance between Lancelot and Guinevere takes the center stage here, along with the life of Merlin and the death of Arthur at the hands of Mordred. This time, Arthur's illegitimate son, not his nephew. Just a few, few years later, the Arthurian tale got a rewrite kind of, thanks to a group of anonymous authors who wrote The Post-Vulgate Cycle, which Ooh. stripped away much of the love story to focus almost exclusively on the quest for the Holy Grail by the Knights of the Round Table. Ooh, Yes, take away the boning, put the Jesus in. Not interested. <laughs> uh, if you want to know more about the Holy Grail, I did a whole episode on it where I similarly descended into madness. <laughs> Although there is, again, some debate among historians, it is believed that the author of Le Mort d'Arthur, or The Death of Arthur, was a wealthy Englishman who possibly wrote the book in prison. I mean, what else are you going to do? Sir Thomas Mallory used many of the early Arthur stories as the basis for his book, which was originally titled... Are you ready for this? I can't wait. The Whole Book of King Arthur and His Noble Knights of the Round Table... The whole book. So he used it for the basis uh, to create the first full narrative of Arthur's life in English. This is very important. All the main characters and plot points are here, including romance, rivalry, infighting, all of the shit that nearly brought Camelot to collapse. So thank you, Sir Thomas Mallory. Probably. Say, that sounds... He doesn't want a book with all of that. That's yeah, why, like... I mean, it's exactly why, like, we are still talking about King Arthur today, like, thousands of years after the fact. Yeah, he put, because we had the romance, thanks to the French, and we had the fighting, thanks to the Romans, British, Welsh, whatever. But then when you put them all together, you get the the thing that, like, made this stick around for a thousand years. A thousand, Sarah. (laughs) I would kill to write anything that people still talk about a thousand years from now. (laughs) Right? So, all of that is to say, once you get past needing things to have roots in real historical events, the story of King Arthur has a couple plot points and characters that crop up in most tellings in one way or another. The story usually goes that the Lady of Grain, married to the Duke of Cornwall, mother to Morgan, sometimes Morgaus, sometimes both, is spotted by King Uther, who falls very much in love with her. Uther starts a war with Cornwall, and eventually conspires with, or is assisted by, if you're not being dramatic merlin to appear to a grain as the duke of cornwall who he does have killed and then they get together and have arthur the heir to the throne of england hey Yay. emily yeah that sounds a little rapey it is um it is in a lot of versions i mean we'll get yeah. it we'll we'll talk about it so arthur grows up Blah 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 he's trained as a soldier maybe his sister goes off and gets married maybe she becomes a sorceress maybe she was a sorceress the whole time Arthur finds or is given Excalibur, the magic sword, by the lady of the lake, and is made king. Somewhere along the way he sleeps with Morgan or Morgause. She has a son that he doesn't know about, or it's his nephew. Something, something something, he marries I mean, Guinevere. Kind of both. <laughs> it's yeah, it's both. Sometimes it's one or the other. Well no, sometimes it's sometimes it's, <laughs> sometimes it's one, sometimes it's both. His nephew. So he marries Guinevere. She has the Hotspur's best friend and member of his literal circle of friends, Lancelot. He defeats the Saxons, the Holy Grail needs finding, and eventually Arthur's son or nephew, Mordred, kills him in battle, and then Morgan, or a version of her, as a sorceress, brings him to Avalon, where he either dies or is healed. (laughs) One of those two things. I should write a book. (laughs) You should write a retelling of the King Arthur legend where all of that happens. What I wanted you to take from that Michael Pena and Ant-Man version of the story <laughs> is that there is a woman at nearly every major plot point in this idiot's life. This is true. And that's what we're here to talk about. I'm very excited. This I love the framing of this, honestly. Just... It is Women's History Month. Oh. Yeah. And while these are not actual historical figures... They're mythical figures, and I think that is that counts still important in a way. It is part of history. Like mythology is a part of history, exactly. And one thing I found when I started doing this because it was just going to be about King Arthur and like telling his story and the history, but then I realized there's so many versions. It's been retold so many times, and then I it just kind of occurred to me that this is the the Anglo-Saxon like British equivalent to, like, Greek mythology. Right, yeah. You have versions of the same characters, tons of stories about them, no consistency. <laughs> it's just, like, it's what happens when you don't have things written down. Like, people just told stories about Arthur, and, like, people are like, oh, I like that it's before uh, copyright existed. <laughs> yeah. So I'm just gonna retell it my own way. Exactly. People have been writing fan fiction for decades, people. Yeah, so basically... You, you can't do an hour long podcast about King Arthur in a way that encompasses everything that Merritt's talking about so you have to you have to pick something and i picked my favorite women cuz there's a lot of women there's like 8 elaines that's a lot of elaines okay there's like 4 but that's still more elaines it's more elaines than most books I'll give you that it is so we're going to start with a grain. cuz without her Literally none of this exists. So the story of Arthur begins with the Lady of Grain, which I have seen spelled 47 different ways, all of them with more I's, Y's, and E's than I think is really necessary. (laughs) Um, So a monk named John of Glastonbury, Glastonbury being one of my favorite vocabulary words from this episode. It's it's a good word. Um, So he claimed that she was a descendant of Joseph of Arimathea, which is a big deal when you consider how important the grail is to this story. Damn, yeah. So, as I mentioned before, Agrain was the wife of the Duke of Cornwall, either named Gorwa or Hoel. We're going to call him Gorwa for the sake of me not having to say Hoel. I mean, you could just call him the Duke. I, I do also call him Cornwall. That works too. Uh, yeah. Um, there's a lot of dukes. <laughs> um, so, from what I understand of the matter, Agrain was very hot. Um, so, a grain in Cornwall had a number of children, all daughters. That varies from story to story. Most commonly, they are they are Morgaz, Morgan, and Elaine, all of whom will come up later. Well, actually, Elaine Elaine doesn't. That's a lie. <laughs> Elaine's just kind of there, and then she gets married and mentioned a couple times. She's Peggy. She, she's Peggy. She's and Peggy. <laughs> There is an Elaine that I I don't talk about in depth who does fall in love with Lancelot, but we know what Lancelot's deal is, so it doesn't go well. I'm sure that didn't end well for her. No, it didn't. She died in a boat. Oh. Anyway, so Agrain was in Uther's court for a visit to commemorate, like, a big battle win. Um, When Uther saw her and was like, damn, I gotta have that ass. Uh, and he was so obvious about thinking this that Gorwa took a grain home to Cornwall without asking for leave, which is a huge no-no. And I think it made a grain kind of uncomfortable. Probably. In some versions. In other versions, it doesn't. So Uther essentially used this slight as an excuse to wage war on Corn- on Cornwall to get what he wanted. Which culminated in the aforementioned asking Merlin for help and disguising himself as Gorlois to infiltrate Tintagel Castle and sleep the Lady of Grain, Sometimes without her realizing it wasn't her husband, sometimes with her realizing it was. I know these aren't real people, but why are men? I know. I prefer the version where she does know. Me too. Because yeah, like like you mentioned, it gets uh pretty rapey. So in some versions, she knows and also loves uther so that but is nice it just depends on what you're reading um so once it's found that Gorwa is dead uther which is like the next day because people are like we found Gorwa's body but like he's here uh... uh so immediately uther married a grain and she has a son arthur very shortly after almost too shortly <laughs> suspiciously shortly which brings up a lot of questions about whether arthur is the true king of england and all of that shit about a year later in some versions a has a daughter named anna but anna doesn't get a lot of playtime in most stories if she shows up at all there are a lot of characters to juggle yeah and what i took from this is that people had a lot of fucking kids in the middle ages so like to make it realistic it's like yeah they had three to four daughters and they don't matter because they're women Mm. Tracks. So, according to the Vulgate Merlin, Vulgate coming up again, um, green died two years before Uther, which means that she had died before Arthur ascended the throne. But in many tales, including the Suite du Merlin and La Morte Arthur, she was alive when Arthur became king, where she was reunited with her son uh, after he was sent away as a boy for fostering, um, which was a very common practice. Mm-hmm. Actually, you see it in The Sword in the Stone. Another Arthurian tale that I know and love very well. <laughs> a lot of times in stories, he didn't know that his father was the king. He was just treated as like a, a page or a squire. Okay. So in Detroit's story of the Grail, Egraine had not seen her son Arthur in 60 years because she had been living in an enchanted castle called the Rock of Champ. I was going to say, does that mean Arthur is like 60 when he... No. Mm. Uh, But she had been living there with a daughter, most likely Morgaz, who was the mother of Arthur's knight, Gawain. So Arthur and Gawain had assumed a grain had been dead during Arthur's reign. um, But Gawain finally found them and they did not recognize him when he arrived and broke the enchantment on the castle. I probably can see why. So that's that's a grain. She's pretty cool. I mean, she doesn't have like a lot to to do But she had a lot to do. I would say she's fairly pivotal to the story. She's pivotal, but she didn't, like, have a lot of lines. So that brings us to the Lady of the Lake. That one. The one with the sword. (laughs) Distributing democracy. So the Lady of the Lake is actually more of a title than it is a person, which makes things super easy to track, as you can imagine. The lady, in general, is a very magical being who lives on a magical island of Avalon, or in an alternate dimension, or in a lake near Avalon. I'm not a hundred percent sure. Don't worry about it. <laughs> yeah, don't worry. She lives in the vicinity. She she's sort of by the lake. Somewhere. There's a lake involved. The most notable role of said lady of the lake was the distribution of swords. <laughs> Actually, it was just Excalibur. That's just the, the only. One. It's the only sword she distributed. That came about after Arthur broke the sword that he pulled from the stone. Interesting. So there are two swords. Yeah. Two swords, 80 lanes. (laughs) And like two to three Morgans. (laughs) Um, So after Arthur broke the sword, um, Merlin took Arthur to see the lady who gave him Excalibur in exchange for a favor that she could call on later. In my favorite version of the story, she made him promise that he would govern as a fair king who, like, included pagans in all of his shit, which he did not follow. I was gonna say, that sounds nice. I bet he fucked that up. Yeah, oh no, he fucked that up real big. The day finally came and she went to collect the favor, which was... uh, She wanted the head of one of Arthur's knights, Balin, who may have killed the lady's brother. Reasonable. Reasonable request. Yeah, oh, definitely. Arthur refused. Um, and Sir Balin cut her head off with a different magical sword that he had literally just received a few minutes before from a nameless sorceress. <laughs> just a random sorceress going around like, you know, you need a magical sword. <laughs> yeah, it's very cool. Uh, so then there's the much more active in the story Nimue, Nanane, or Vivian. All excellent names for the same character. But for the purpose of this, I will call her Nimue. In honor of that. Uh, N-I-M-U-E or it could be N-I-M-U-E-H but I'm going with the spelling that they used in the 1998 miniseries Merlin with Isabella Rossellini Look, we don't need all those extraneous H's. So according to the Vulgate Merlin, Nimue was the daughter of Dionysus, who had married the niece of the Duke of Burgundy. Dionysus was the godson of Diana, the goddess of the woods also known as Artemis um, and her father had served the Duke of Burgundy as a vavasor, which I believe is like a vassal. Gotcha. Or a serf, depending on what terminology. He was a farming slave, essentially. Anyway, he was given the forest of Briosk. Uh, the other part of the forest belonged to King Ban, which King Ban won through serving the king as a knight. So, King Ban is going to be important later. I'm going to put so, a pin in that. Yes, yeah. uh, Nimue was only 12 years old when she met Merlin in the forest. And Merlin was, I'm going to say, charmed by her. I already don't like where this is going. Uh, but he taught... No, don't worry. Uh, it doesn't get gross. But just know that charmed is in quotation marks. Yeah, this is the part that worries me. Yep. Uh, well, he taught her some magic. That's nice. Yeah. Uh, in The sweet to Merlin and uh, Mallory's Lamar Arthur... Nimue was the huntress and the daughter of the king of Northumbria in Brittany. So this is a different version of Nimue. Uh, shortly after the wedding of Arthur and Guinevere, Nimue was hunting rabbits with her dog. Her dog was stolen. She was abducted. Merlin sent three knights in the quest of the White Heart, which heart in this case being rabbit, because heart is another word for rabbit in the... Okay. Yeah. But the quest of the White Rabbit just sounds like there's talking doorknobs and like big teacups. Where Gawain had to fetch the rabbit, Sir Tor had to retrieve the hound, and Pelinor had to rescue Nimue. So Merlin sent three knights on like a scavenger hunt. Sounds like a good fun afternoon. All right, so Merlin couldn't resist Nimue's beauty and followed her everywhere. <sighs> she is an older person in this version of the story, so it's less weird. It's still not great. Yeah, yeah, I mean, I guess Merlin is usually portrayed as being like an old man but I prefer the Sam Neil version of things where he's like in his mid to late thirties. Cause then he's kind of hot. Oh yeah. It's Sam Neil. Again, I don't watch Jurassic Park for the articles, Sarah. <laughs> Nimoy promised her love to him in return for Merlin, teaching her everything about magic. Seems like a fair trade. I, I, yeah, sure. I, I'd make that trade. Magic, uh, hell yeah. So Merlin built her a hidden domain and a palace near the lake. The, the lake. The lady's lake. The lake that she is soon to be the lady of. Yes. Uh, with his magic, he hid her home so that anyone who went by would only see a lake instead of her palace. So when Nimue decided to return home, Merlin accompanied her, hoping to seduce the lady of the lake. On their journey, Merlin and Nimue met King Ban and his wife, Elaine. <laughs> different Elaine, I think. Elaine number four? Three? This is three. our this is technically the third Elaine we've mentioned. Um, and the infant Lancelot,, oh, who was I'll then named Lancey. yeah uh, who was then named Galahad uh Merlin told her that this baby he told Elaine, and I guess by extension Nimoy uh, that this baby would grow up to be the greatest knight in the world, so when they entered the uh forest, Nimoy was tired of Merlin's company, yeah, I would be too. She used the magic that she learned from him to entomb the sorcerer in a rock or a tree, depending on which version. Or in the Vulgate Merlin, it says that she imprisoned Merlin in a castle made of air, which is the coolest option. I'd go with that one. So Nimue took over Merlin's role as the king's magical advisor, and she also foiled several plots of Morgan Le Fay to kill Arthur. Uh, In the Suite de Merlin... Uh, when Morgan Le Fay stole Excalibur from her brother and gave the magical sword to her boyfriend, Acalon of Gaul. He sounds cool. He is cool. <laughs> I, I, I picture him as the hot bad boy of the story. He's French, so yes. So Arthur did a duel with Acalon to get it back, and he was losing. So Nimue rescued the king. She used her magic to knock Excalibur out of Acalon's hand. What you'll you'll find in a lot of stories in the later period of, like, Arthur stories popping up is that Arthur's kind of a weenie bitch. (laughs) (laughs) Like, yeah, he's valiant and noble and stuff, but he's kind of just like bopping along doing Arthur shit when everyone is like cleaning up his messes and making sure he doesn't die every 10 minutes. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, yeah, that the tracks for mythical heroes. So Nimue was responsible for raising Lancelot after the death of King Ban. Uh, Lancelot did not know his own name or those of his parents, because Nimue did not reveal it while he was living with her. I assume she called him Lancelot instead of Galahad. It's a better name. Uh, she taught Lancelot about courtly love and the duties of a knight, and then sent him to Arthur to be knighted. His mom got him the job. <laughs> it's like, here you go, have this boy. And then he'll fuck your wife, but it's fine. <laughs> <laughs> Someone's gotta do it, because Lord knows you aren't. So that's, that's Nimue, the Lady of the Lake, one of the Ladies of the Lake... Um, She seems cool. I like she's, her. She's an asshole sometimes, but she's pretty cool. <laughs> uh, which brings us to Morgaz. Uh, so Morgaz spelled M-O-R-G-A-U-S-E or M-O-R-G-A-W-S-E. And a million other ways. The Welsh really need to decide on some shit. So Morgaz was the eldest daughter of a grain and Gorwa. Um, this makes her half-sister of Arthur. She has also taken the same role as Anna in some stories, making her Arthur's full sister. So in the early legend, Morgaz only had two sons, Gawain and Mordred. In the later legend, she had four to five sons, Gawain, Agravain, Gaheris, and Gareth. Excellent names, all. I really like Agravain. Sometimes Mordred was mentioned as her son, and sometimes he wasn't. As early as the uh, writing of the Fulgate Merlin, which was pretty early on, uh, it was... Arthur, who is the father of Mordred, when Mordred betrayed him, implying that he had committed incest with Morgauz. Wow, that sentence was poorly written. Um, Mordred betrayed him and implied that Arthur had committed incest with Morgaz. There we go. Gotcha. Uh, Whether it was by deception or uh, just being icky. Yeah, so like, because I'm assuming it varies between like, it's incest but they don't know or it's incest and they do know or it's incest but he's been tricked somehow And it's usually it's incest and she knows but he doesn't but in some cases neither of them know because gotcha. they would have been raised separately and right. so they wouldn't know what each other looked like um, in More to Arthur it's implicitly stated or explicitly stated there we go that Arthur had unwittingly committed incest gotcha Since he was brought up by his foster father, Sir Antor, he never knew that he had a sister. And Mordred would go up and betray his father and destroy Arthur and his knights. Big plot point there. Yeah. A fairly major development. And in Mallory's stories, Morgaz was considered to be a great beauty. Of course. They all have to be hot. Like, you can't have just a plain-looking woman in a story. Not just a lady. Look, it's bad enough that she has to be a lady. She's at least got to be a hot lady. <laughs> so in one story, a knight named uh, Lamorak, was madly in love with Morgaz. When her son, Sir Gaheris, found her making love to Sir Lamorak, Geheris was outraged that his mother was making love to his mortal enemy. Fair. Gaheris cut down his own mother, less fair. Uh, Gawain and his brothers were mortal en- enemies of Lamorak because Lamorak's father, Pelinor, had king, uh, killed their father, King Lot. So, instead of killing their enemy, they killed their m- mom for sleeping with their enemy. It all checks out. Yeah, sure, because, you know, she is a woman. Yeah, don't think about it. You're thinking about it too much. <laughs> <laughs> Makes sense. Pelinor is also one of my favorite names in this. Just kind of rolls off the tongue. All right, next up, we have... My favorite, the real squeaky from of this episode, Morgan Le Fay, a.k.a. Morgan of the Fairies, a.k.a. Morgan, a.k.a. Morgaine. Hyper Apple, just a little bit more. Mm. (laughs) So Morgan Le Fay was the other daughter of King Lorwa and a grain. Most of the time, Morgan is identified as the half sister of Arthur. Most of the time. According to one or two writers, Morgan was Mordred's mother, but most of the time that whole incesty plot line fell on Morgaz's shoulders, and Morgan didn't really have to deal with it. Okay. Or, or yeah, see, that's what I was wondering. Are Morgaz and Morgan Le Fay the same character or different characters, nope. or does it depend on them? Green was just not very creative when she named her daughters. Gotcha. Okay. This is clarifying some things. Well, it's Morgaz, Morgane, Elaine, <laughs> Arthur, Anna. Just take the last one's name and change it just a little bit. There are like five names in the, you know, (laughs) 600s. And they're all spelled eight different ways. Yes. So there are similarities between Morgan and a real Irish, real, an Irish goddess, uh, Morrigan. Most of the time, Morgan appeared as a beautiful young woman, sometimes as an old hag, morrigan also had the same ability to shapeshift between young and old beautiful and ugly and like Morgan, Morgan was able to transform herself to look like any animal or inanimate object which is just fucking insane that's that's very op <laughs> so the character of morgan Le Fay is probably based on an irish goddess uh jeffrey of monmouth our man jeff good friend jeff yes uh, mentioned morgan as one of the nine sisters of avalon she was a healer and had the extraordinary ability to fly and transform herself to resemble anyone or anything arthur was brought to avalon by a very popular bard named taliesin a very popular bard which- oh uh, i see what you mean. i see what you mean oh no, no not like a bard that likes to fuck i'm sure he did though but i mean isn't that the bard's whole thing So Arthur was brought to Avalon by Taliesin, where he was healed by Morgan. Here, there is no indication of any relationship between Arthur and Morgan as siblings, just that she was his healer. So in early legends, Morgan's role was a benevolent one. She used her power for healing and good and whatever. Uh, She was the fairy queen or one of the queens of Avalon, and she was said to have learned magic from Merlin. Mallory says that Morgan learned magic from when she was in a nunnery, which seems very unlikely, given how the Christians viewed witchcraft. I don't know. You could have one of those, like, really cloistered, like, nunneries where, like, the ladies just all kind of keep to themselves and the men just assume they're doing nun things, but really they're doing magic. That's just called a coven. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, but you got to go undercover. Undercover nuns. So you're saying that these, these witches are dressing up like nuns to be undercover? Yeah, wouldn't you if you were in the Middle Ages and you were a coven of witches? Well, there's my book idea, Secret Nun. Well, Secret no, Nuns. Se- yeah. N- nuns are undercover? Nun undercover. No, that's not. Nun undercover. That is 100% a joke I stole from uh, How Did This Get Made? <laughs> um, there's a hot dog place in Portland called Buns on the Run. <laughs> So, later tales state that Morgan was the wife of King Urien and mother of the hero Owen, or Yvain, which is also the name of the main character in Stardust, who's Claire Danes. But this is not that. (laughs) That That's a nice, pretty name, though. Yeah. Um, So, according to the Vulgate Merlin, Urien married Morgan shortly after Arthur received Excalibur from the Lady of the Lake. Their son was Yvain, the hero in the story Knight of the lion this Yvain should not be confused with another son of urian who is known as Yvain the bastard you can tell them apart because one of them's a bastard <laughs> so by the end of the vulgate cycle morgan's character had begun to change where she became one of the mortal enemies of arthur and guinevere specifically guinevere oh well, yeah because you know the ladies can only fight the ladies it's kind of fun like i'm not gonna lie <laughs> um, her role became more sinister, and later writers tend to portray her as the wicked and malign character, which is rude as shit. Yeah, I like it to be a little more nuanced. Well, I guess. I mean, like it's fun. It's fun for her to be evil, but like, you can make that interesting. You can make it a sympathetic evil. Yeah, exactly. Um, well, in the late medieval period, magic was increasingly becoming associated with like witchcraft and the devil. Uh, mm, mm, but yeah. even with that, Merlin is always treated kindly, even though he is sometimes described as the son of a demon, because he is generally seen as Arthur's like protector, he uses magical powers in the aid of Camelot, and he is, of course, a man. I was going to say, what's the difference here? What is the main character trait difference between Merlin and Morgan that would make Merlin sympathetic and... <laughs> Yeah, Morgan is condemned for being a woman who wants magical and political power for herself. Yeah, I would say, God forbid she's ambitious. Yes. So that's where that disconnect comes from. Um, Because when these stories were being written, like, because, you know, back, further back, it was like, yeah, women can be magical and wonderful. We had goddesses and stuff. And then Mm. Christianity kind of took a shit all over it and was like, no, women can't do magic. That's bad. Like, they can't have ambitions or anything. Christianity just fucked a whole lot of shit up but even with that in some of mallory's story her former more beloved benevolent character traits kind of hung around um so after arthur is fatally wounded fighting his son mordred she is one of the women who takes him to avalon for healing in some works her quote unquote treachery is simply a way to defend the pagan religion against the people in britain or simply to defend the pagan religion that most of the people in Britain practice until the Romans swooped in and Christianity became the new thing. So it's just a way for her to protect her way of life. Not necessarily even like get rid of Christianity just in terms of like you can have both. It just doesn't not have Christianity come in and stomp all over shit. Yeah. It it comes up a lot in Mists of Avalon where um between Morgan and the Merlin it's like you can't control what's in someone else's heart. So just, like, fucking let the pagans do their thing. Like, it's not hurting anything. Mm -hmm. The world won't end if you don't convert everybody. Exactly. So Morgan's hatred for Guinevere may have stemmed from one story where she was serving as the queen's lady-in-waiting. She was in love with a young knight who happened to be the queen's cousin. Morgan and the knight were doing it until Guinevere heard of them doing it, and the queen broke up their relationship in case they caused a scandal. Uh, Morgan never forgave Guinevere for this, and she sought revenge upon the queen. That's reasonable. After, yeah. Uh, after this, Morgan went in search of Merlin to learn magic in exchange for offering um, her quote-unquote love <clears throat> to the sorcerer. Ugh, gross. Yeah, it's a one of those sex-for-magic schemes. <laughs> so Morgan was also responsible for the the whole plot of the story of the Green Knight, uh, wherein Morgan had given the Green Knight the ability to survive after being beheaded, damn <laughs> so so basically the the outline of the story is that they were having a tournament at the castle, and Morgan found a dude, the Green Knight, and gave him this ability, and then entered him in the thing and then Gawain beheaded him, and he didn't die. And Morgan's hope was that this would frighten Guinevere to death. It wouldn't be pleasant. I can't imagine it's very fun for Gawain, either. No, no. But he's a strong man. Oh, well, yeah. So in the, the Vulgate cycle and Mallory's book writings, Morgan had fallen in love with Lancelot, whom she had encountered several times over the course of their lives. I love, I know these are all kind of, like, different versions, but I can't keep... Them straight, so they're all just the same story to me. I love how like just convoluted it's getting. Yep, yep, yep. That's that's why I had sixteen pages of notes before I like pared stuff down. (laughs) There's so much. So several times Morgan imprisoned Lancelot, refusing to release him until he uh, became her lover. And each time he refused because (laughs) no respect for that. Yeah. Um and one time she had spirited Lancelot away with two other queens who were also powerful sorceresses. I don't know what came of that. I couldn't find the name of the story. <laughs> so basically she sent Lancelot away with what I assume are two hot magical women. I was gonna say this, this feels like a win for Lancelot. Version, <laughs> the porn version of the King Arthur. <laughs> so according to Mallory, when Arthur was dying, Morgan and three other ladies from Avalon, including Nimue arrived in a black ship, and Morgan intended to take Arthur to Avalon where she could heal him. So at the end of the story, she's chill. Which leads us to our last lady, Guinevere. And I cannot fully explain why, but I don't like her that much. (laughs) I think it might be my extensive Miss of Avalon reading just seeping into my brain, because she is incredibly annoying. (laughs) I can't believe, like, I don't know, Miss of Avalon I won't pass judgment on, but like, a lot of the st- stories, like male writers just aren't gonna write her that interesting. <laughs> no, and the thing is Miss of Avalon is written by a woman. Yeah. Um and Guinevere's whole thing is that she's like an Uber Christian and thinks that Christ is punishing her for not being Christian enough. That and, sounds really Yeah, that I would get that would get old fast. Uh, one of my big things is like I hate it in movies and books when like something could easily be solved by like talking to someone. Oh yeah. Which I mean, it's in line with the the time period it set in, but it's, you could just be like, hey, Arthur, like, I'm sorry. I want to fuck Lancelot. I know you know. And now I know that you know that I know. So and let's we could just, just come to an arrangement because it's like the Middle Ages and we're royalty. And that's the, just a thing that happens. That's the fucking thing is that he was like, yeah, I wouldn't mind if you did that. Like, I'm just going to pretend it didn't happen. And she wouldn't because of Christ. Ugh. So I guess that's why I don't like one of your... <laughs> It's highly biased. I'm sure she's a nice lady. She's the the one that I had to cut stuff down a lot because she shows up a lot. She's a big part. Yeah, she's uh, barely major. I would consider her a major character, yes. So according to early legend, Arthur met Guinevere, or Gwenhavir, or Gwenhora, in the Duke of Cornwall's court. Different Duke of Cornwall, obviously, than, than, than the one that... There have been several, I imagine. Yeah. many. There are many dukes. Uh, so, Guinevere was the ward of the Duke of Cador of Cornwall. So, that's fun. Um, Guinevere came from a noble Roman family, and uh, it was on her mother's side that, that she was Roman. Um, later legends say that Guinevere was the daughter of Leodigan, which is the version I've heard the most, king of Uh, uh After Arthur helped Leodigan... Arthur became betrothed to Guinevere as like a thank you present, I guess. Yeah, that sounds about right. So yeah, they got married and generally in stories had no children, except in one story where they had a son named Lohat. I think he died. Did they like ever her... in in fiction do they have an ex cause they they're married for a while, aren't they? Yeah, they just and never it's have never kids. a thing that like it's never a plot point that they can't have kids. I know it is. It is a, it is a plot a point that they can't have kids. Like it's okay. a big plot point in a lot of cases. Um, that's oh, okay. why in one of the versions, Arthur was like, "Yeah, you can fuck Lancelot. I just like will pretend that it didn't." Yeah, because like maybe I'm the problem, which was yeah. very good of Arthur to admit. That yeah, seems actually uh, in the time period we're pretending it is like probably would not have that attitude. But exactly. Um, but most of the time, yeah, uh, they don't have kids, and it's a whole deal because they need an heir. Gotcha. Which is why when Mordred swoops in, it's like, oh, look, an heir. <laughs> uh, Experty's evil. So, Guinevere was said to be a wise queen as well as one of those beautiful women in the world. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Her yeah. great beauty caused trouble for her. Uh, she was abducted quite a few times and had to be rescued. Yeah. This is all in line. So, like I said, in, in most tales, Arthur and Guinevere were married but had no children. In the one story where they did have a child, Lohat, um, Sir Kai, one of the Knights of the Round Table, murdered him. <laughs> nice. Way to uh, go. Guinevere was grief-stricken and she died from a broken heart. Why Why did he kill him? Was I don't have details accident? on that one. No, of course. De- oh, um, well, I think Sir Kai was one of, he was Arthur's, uh, like, foster brother. Uh-huh. So when Arthur went off to be fostered, Sir Kai was the right. actual son of the, the the Lord, whatever was, yes. yeah. So I think that means that Sir Kai was next in line for the throne. But if Arthur had a son, then he wouldn't get the throne. And like having the throne was a big deal. They did a mm. whole show about why being on the throne was a big deal. <laughs> Personally, I wouldn't want the and responsibility. It was called big Bang Theory. <laughs> Who will ascend the Nerd Throne? <laughs> so in the Latin romance titled "The Rise of Sir Gawain," Gwendolina or Guinevere. This is another one where there's like nine names and they're all dumb. (laughs) Um, So she was not only Arthur's wife, but she was also a powerful sorceress who could see into the future. That's cool. Right? Uh, Once she predicted a champion, Gawain would come to Arthur's court bearing gifts on two horses, which happened. In in case that wasn't clear from my tone. And that's the only time she was cool. Give her like one thing. Just give her like one thing to be cool about. This next one is, is one of my favorite stories about Guinevere. In um, one story written by Marie de France in the late 12th century, titled Lanval, the hero, Lanval, was loved by a fairy woman, but he couldn't tell anyone of her existence. So when Guinevere tried to seduce him, he got super defensive and bragged about how his Canadian fairy girlfriend was prettier than the Queen. <laughs> Uh, Guinevere then accused him of making unwanted advances and of bragging about loving a woman more beautiful than her. <laughs> he could have just stopped after the first one. Like, that's... Yeah. Um, so, unable to prove his innocence, Landfall was set to be executed, but that hot, hot fairy woman came to rescue him, and Landfall and the fairy woman left the mortal world to live in Avalon. <laughs> cool story? Very cool story. <laughs> um, so, in Armand Jeffrey's work... And in earlier Welsh texts, um, when Mordred was acting as regent during Arthur's absence in a war against the Romans, uh, he sees power in Britain. And to further fuck things up for Arthur, Mordred had married Guinevere. Rude. Yes, this marriage may have been forced, but most say that she was an accomplice in the treason and may have seduced Mordred. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, in most versions. I I can see it being written both ways, I guess. I'm not passing judgment. It sounds like I'm passing judgment on a fictional character. I'm not. In most versions, Mordred's pretty cute, so. Yeah. And I mean, what's Arthur doing for her? Nothing. Literally nothing. (laughs) So, Guinevere is perhaps best known for her long, sad love affair with Lancelot. The best knight in the whole world. The best fighty boy. Um, So, this first appeared in Detroit's romance titled "Knight of the Cart, also titled Lancelot, which is a better title. (laughs) According to a story, The Life of Gildas, Cardoc of... Do you remember how double L's are pronounced in Welsh? No. All right. So this Welsh guy wrote that Melvis, king of the summer country, had abducted and raped Gwenhaver, or Guinevere. War erupted between Arthur and Melvis. Melvis retreated to Glastonbury. Um... And title character of the story, St. Gildas didn't like Arthur since the king had killed his rebellious brothers, but he intervened. St. Gildas talked to the two warring kings to make peace, and Melvis returned Gwynhavir back to Arthur. So basically what happened is this one king stole Guinevere. There was a war. The saint, who the story is actually about, was like, I don't like Arthur, but I hate this war more, and was like, just give her back. And he gave her back. And no one ever fought ever again. Nope. So anyway, this story was most likely the source for Dietra's Knight of the Cart. Melvis became Meligant, the son of Batamagus of Gore. So many great names. Meligant abducted Guinevere and later challenged Lancelot to a duel, which Lancelot lost. Oh, Lancelot fought him again, and in the second duel, he killed the king. And rescued Guinevere. So though Lancelot appeared in earlier works, his role was minor. The Knight of the Cart is actually Lancelot's first appearance as a hero and not just like a side character. And it was the first time he appeared as Guinevere's lover. I hate the word lover, but that's the only way to describe it sometimes. And it just, it's infuriating. Boyfriend. <laughs> yeah, Guinevere's boyfriend. <laughs> uh, in the Vulgate cycle and after, Guinevere definitely betrayed Arthur by committing adultery. However, it was not Mordred, but Lancelot. <laughs> that's fun. And also, again, what's Arthur doing for her? nothing he's too busy with the grail and his his boys so pretty much all of Lancelot's heroic deeds were performed because he was in love with Guinevere Aww, he was inspired by her love and you know went off and did all this brave shit to impress her that's kind of cute he was also the queen's champion which means like he was her bitch (laughs) and Lancelot would often rescue her from one danger or another it's cute when you get past the whole Arthur is a huge cuck angle of it (laughs) But there was probably some justification in the adultery of Lancelot and Guinevere, since Arthur was, as you've said, also not great. <laughs> no, like, you, I never get the impression from any Arthur media that, like, that's the great love story. Like, the great love story is always Guinevere and Lancelot. Yeah, in the uh, 1998 Merlin, she's played by uh, Lena Headey from Game of Thrones. Excellent. Yes. So yeah, on the night that Lancelot and Guinevere finally hooked up for real, Arthur was off banging a Saxon sorceress. So So um yeah. look, clearly they had an open marriage. <laughs> Eventually their love would cause Lancelot to fail in the quest of the grail and destroy the round table. Figuratively, not actually. Yeah, this 'cause isn't like the you have to be kind of like pure and chaste. Yeah. To find the grail and I mean Unless your fucking Ford. the king's wife, not not helping. The kingdom and the round table became kind of connected with Guinevere. When Arthur married her, he was given the like the literal round table, not a pizza franchise, um, <laughs> and a hundred knights as part of her dowry. Oh, damn. Yeah. So when Arthur tried to execute Guinevere for treason. For not, for cheating on him. Um, a war broke out between Lancelot and Arthur and everything went to absolute shit. Oh, boy. It was only when Arthur arrested her for adultery and treason that the power of the round table broke. Like, it was a house divided situation, you know? And Lancelot was the backbone of the round table. Yeah. Like, everyone kind of starts picking sides. Yeah. So the war ended without either side winning and Guinevere went back to Arthur and the, you know, the strength of Arthur's kingdom was seriously weakened without the support of Lancelot. It was like uh, the Avengers Civil War. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Like Civil War. Yeah, you remember when Tony banged banged Peggy and I just got really upset. (laughs) (laughs) I feel like a lot of people just got upset with me for that one. Peggy would never and you know it. Peggy is the Morgan Le Fay of the story. Actually, no, I think Wanda would be the Morgan Le Fay of the story. I mean, yeah, I mean, they are both witches. They are both witches and they they both kind of have a, a whole thing. Actually, I think in the comics... Wanda is related to or knows Morgan Le Fay. This would not surprise me. Just knowing comics. Anyways. So, without Lancelot and uh, Captain America and um, Ant-Man, the kingdom was weakened and thus gave Mordred an opening to betray Arthur and seize the kingdom. So, in the Vulgate cycle and in later stories, Guinevere had managed to prevent Mordred from marrying her by gathering loyal men to hide behind the walls of the Tower of London for an ambush, which is cool as shit. Yeah. And as Arthur fought Mordred, Guinevere fled to the Abbey at Carleon and took a vow to become a nun, even <laughs> though the battle hadn't been decided. She was just like, nope. She's nope, like, you know, no more. I'm done. <laughs> and tired of all this. I get it. So before we we get out of here, this is only kind of tangentially related to Guinevere's overarching storyline, but it's It's a good story, and it is The Tale of Two Gwens. I'm intrigued. Continue. So, in the Vulgate Merlin, the second Guinevere was the daughter of King Leodagan and his steward's wife. So, his steward was a man named uh, Cleodolus. great name, uh, who married the maid of Leodagan's wife. And the maid became a lady in the court, and Leodagan had a thing for her in a big way. So... Leodigan sank uh, Cleodalis to war with the Irish, and uh, after waiting for his queen to go to church, he did the thing. So the two Guinevere's are actually half-sisters, since they were conceived apparently on the same night, born on the same day, and had the same name, and looked exactly alike. Uh, I love this father who's just like, ugh, gotta think of two names? Forget it. (laughs) Lazier than a grain. Uh, So Leodigan and the queen's daughter became Arthur's wife, mistress of Lancelot, that whole thing we just spent like 15 minutes talking about. Mm -hmm. The second Guinevere was frequently known as the false Guinevere or second Guinevere, which could not have been good for her ego. (laughs) (laughs) A little rude. The only means of identifying the real Guinevere from the false one was that the real one had a birthmark of a crown on her back while fake Guinevere had none. Yeah, I know. I love the, like, just the sitcom wackiness of this. In a story known as Lancelot proper, the false Guinevere would later cause the separation of Arthur and his wife uh, when she posed as the queen and wife of Arthur to try to get Arthur to execute the real Guinevere. Seriously, I'm (laughs) pretty sure this is been done what a great plan <laughs> uh this plan was foiled when lancelot challenged three of her knights in a trial by combat because i assume he knew it wasn't the real guinevere but arthur didn't right that's how this works so even though lancelot won the contest arthur was still in love with the imposter because she'd slipped him a love potion Right. uh the false guinevere and an accomplice confessed to this crime when they were both struck down by a mysterious illness probably magic and it's unclear if the imposter died from the illness or if she was executed on Arthur's order. That's that's quite a tale. I have to wonder if this came up as a plot point in the show, Merlin. <laughs> Cause that sounds like something that would happen. It sounds like very like fifth season of any television show where they're really starting to run out of ideas, but they just keep Yeah. Well anyway, that's that's what I have. That's it that's all I can do for you (laughs) what wonderful ladies I loved all of them yeah even by the end I was like yeah Guinevere's not that bad I think if you give her a good writer yeah as long as she's not the whole I'm gonna make this whole country Christian Guinevere like she's fine yeah that sounds tiring and I would not like that either yeah the second book of Miss Avalon is mostly about her and aside from that threesome at the end I just like wanted it to be over (laughs) very Christian of her Uh, There's a whole monologue in there about it. (laughs) I still don't know if it's a good book. I need to finish it. And like, I've been trying to read it for 17 years at this point. Anyway, um, I don't know if you want to correct my Welsh pronunciation. We're on Twitter at Afternoonified and Instagram at Afternoonified. You can try. It's probably not going to do anything. Um we're also at getafternoonify.com where you can listen to old episodes, you can contribute a little bit if you want, help us pay for hosting, give us a little yeah. tip. Uh you can also buy merch. Uh proceeds of that are still going to Black Lives Matter. Yes. So get yourself a cute t-shirt and support a good cause. Um remember to rate, subscribe, review, all that fun stuff and uh we'll see you next time. Bye. We love bye. Love you. bye. So below, listeners, it's your boy Shane Hosey and I want to tell you a little bit about my podcast The Hosey Hustle. Every other week I sit down with a guest and we talk about product and service submissions from you, the listener Terrible ideas like cigarettes for dogs and we'll sit there and we'll talk about how to make them ready for the big scary economy. Basically we take bad ideas and we make them worse so why don't you give us a listen. The Hosey Hustle part of Sobelow Media. Now get back to the show you were originally listening to. You probably like it a lot